sometimes I wonder why I spent the lonely Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I am your host, Foltz. With me, as always, my main man, my co-host, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. How are you, my brother? I feel good, Foltz. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent. Uh, funny story was uh, yesterday from uh, one of our listeners, we'll just call him John, sent me an article asking me if I was getting a new co-host for the uh, Subtle Beast show because apparently there is a... Uh, a gentleman who's interested in buying the, uh, what is it, the Washington Commanders. The Washington Commanders. Billionaire that wants to, and his name just happens to be Steve Apostolopoulos, interested in purchasing the Commanders. I thought that that was great. So thanks, John, for setting that out. Me and Steve had a good laugh over that. Appreciate it. Sure did. So, uh, but yeah, so we got a pretty cool show lined up here for today. We're going to do some fascinating facts about space. I mean... We all love space. Space leads to UFOs, leads to extraterrestrials, one of my favorite topics of all time. Now, I don't know how much we'll get into UFOs and uh, aliens today, although I wish, but we compiled a list here together of some, like I said, fascinating facts about space, and uh, we're just going to go through them. We'll discuss them a little bit, and uh, some of these you may have heard before, some of you may not, but uh, they're pretty cool, don't you think, Steve? Uh, there was a lot that I hadn't heard before, and I'm a fan of space, so I think everyone's going to get a little something out of this. Yeah, so we're just going to, we won't waste any more time. Let's go through this list. Now, did you realize that if you wanted to go to outer space, or you had the means to get there, or if you could even walk there, it's only 62 miles away. So getting to space, it's no easy task. It takes a lot of testing and practicing. The Carmen Line which is our way of determining the imaginary boundary between the atmosphere of Earth and outer space. And it's about 62 miles above Earth, main sea level, and marks the beginning of outer space. doesn't seem so far, but it's definitely a challenge to get there. So, yeah, I mean, picture any destination within 60 miles of your house, and if you could walk that, if there was a stairway to space, you'd be able to do it, 62 miles, so however long that would take you. Not far, but it would definitely be tough to get there. No, I mean, if you're driving at 60 miles an hour, you know, it would only take you about an hour to get there. So if you could drive your car, it would take you an hour to get to space. That's crazy. That is pretty crazy. If you could drive your car straight up. Oh, Here's the thing, though. The engines, like on planes, they're going to cut out. You, you really need a rocket to get up there. Oh, yeah. You're not getting up there without some really great uh, propulsion system. I think we could make one. Oh. We'll, we'll try it, and then we'll see if we can put it out on video. We'll but. record it, put it on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take us into this next one. It's pretty neat. All right. So Buzz Lightyear was named in honor of Edwin Buzz Aldrin, an Apollo 11 astronaut. The famous Buzz Lightyear was not a made-up name. It was, in fact, named after Buzz Aldrin, the second man to step on the moon following Neil Armstrong. Aldrin even recognized the tribute by taking out a Buzz Lightyear toy while giving a speech at NASA. Even more interesting, Aldrin's mom's maiden name was Moon. Ooh. Perhaps going to the moon was in his destiny. I would say so. Yeah, I mean, it seems that, like that, that's pretty crazy. 
Unless maybe you know he was selected based on all this different information. That would that could be possible. You know, oh, anything's possible when you're dealing with deep state. And speaking of that, I mean, there's a lot of crazy things going on. Sidetrack uh, <laughs> with uh, <laughs> with a, you know a space force and how about all this stuff? I mean, there's a real lot of information out there. I knew I'd be able to work it in with UFOs going. To, I mean, they're talking about them a whole lot more. Are we peeking down the uh, rabbit hole at possibly some type of fake alien invasion coming up? Uh, Project Blue Beam, inconsistent with the, uh, you know, with the deep state who have uh, reverse engineered a bunch of uh, alien reproduction, or they have alien reproduction vehicles. Is that what we're going to be looking at? Is that the next big thing? Because if you think about it, the warmonger is never going to stop, and they're going to run out of places to go to war with, and. You know, the last place is going to be space, and Space Force is already talking about wanting to weaponize space. It's going to be interesting, everybody, so keep your eyes open. And if you haven't listened to our show on Project Bluebeam and the New World Order, go check that out because uh, that'll give you a little little information about it. But I'm sure most people know what we're talking about. All right, back on track. Now, I'm sure everyone pretty much knows this, but, you know, we wanted to add it to the list that, that our tides are created by the sun and the moon's gravitational pull. Things going on in space affect us. The main cause, causes of both high and low tides are the moon's gravitational pull, as well as the Earth's rotational force. The part of the Earth that is nearest to the moon is affected the most by the moon's pull. This is what makes the sea rise, in turn creates high tides. I've watched a lot of uh, summer full moons above the ocean, uh, being down in, at the beach a lot, and man, there's nothing better than just checking looks out huge. a big full moon right over the ocean, listening to the tide crash onto the shore. I love it. Definitely. Steve, if you wanted to have a conversation in space, could yep. you do it? You could not. Space is completely silent. And we were uh, watching a video before this, and um, Fultz said, I don't know if there's sound to this. And I was like, well, there's no sound in space. And he was like, yeah, but there's a microphone inside the spacesuit. So if there was sound going through the channel of the microphone, it would be on this video. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and we'll be talking a little bit about that and a little bit more in just a little bit. But space is completely silent. Crazy enough, you can't hear any sound in space. Sounds travel through vibrations of atoms and molecules through air or water. In space, there is no air. So the sound has no way to travel. It's a vacuum, and sound waves aren't able to travel through a vacuum. So if you were to scream while up in space, no one would be able to hear you. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, I mean, as soon as you'd be exposed, I mean, uh, I think we even talk about this a little later. It's so cold and so hot at the same time. That they say, like, your insides melt, but, like, you completely freeze, too, at the same time. That's, like, negative 450 degrees. I've seen it graphically depicted in movies, and they crack the screen of a visor or something, and they freeze. You can't be exposed to that type of radiation. You can't be exposed to that type of temperatures. No way. Space, the human body wasn't meant to be abused like that with the atmosphere that's available in space. So, yeah, you you. But if you could withstand it, you wouldn't be able to hear somebody anyway. Yeah. It'd be so weird to be this close, scream at the top of your lungs, and, and you wouldn't be able to hear it. Yeah, yes. Space is it's a scary place. It definitely is a scary place. 
So there is a computer-generated photo that you can look up that uh, shows the space debris in Earth's orbit, and it's crazy. I highly recommend doing it. But it's estimated at like over 500,000 pieces. With 60 years of space flight, there's an accumulation of debris in space that puts other satellites and astronauts at risk. While these bits of debris cover a wide area, high orbital velocities mean that any collision with even a small piece can cause an explosion. Just like we pay attention to throwing out garbage on Earth, there also needs to be a focus on cleaning up the garbage surrounding Earth, which I don't know how they would do that. They actually track each piece of space debris individually. They would have to if you're launching anything in the space. So when there's something up there, they can tell. And you think about the size of a bullet, you know, a little piece of metal like that. Up in space, there's no, if, if it has thrust, if there's something that propelled it, there's nothing to slow it down. And if it's in orbit, it's going to continue to circle the Earth at a high rate of uh, velocity. Between like fifteen and 18,000 miles an hour. So imagine that. I mean, it's going to cut right through anything. Yeah, they did a great, great job of uh, portraying that in, uh, what was that movie with Sandra Bullock? Gravity. Yeah, Gravity. Yeah, that was crazy. They had about an hour. They knew that this uh, wreckage was going to be coming right back around the Earth. Petrifying. Absolutely petrifying. Yeah, that it really tore up that spacecraft. You wouldn't, you wouldn't survive that. No. What's the hottest planet in our solar system? Oh, let's take a look at this. I believe it's Venus. Venus is the hottest planet in the solar system at four hundred and fifty degrees Celsius. You would think that it would be Mercury uh, because it's the closest to the sun. But Venus, named after the Roman goddess of love and beauty, is blazing hot. Its atmosphere is extremely dense, which traps heat in and builds up very high temperatures. It creates a runaway greenhouse effect. So because it's got such a very dense atmosphere, Venus is the hottest planet. Yeah, so 450 degrees Celsius in Fahrenheit, that's 842 degrees. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> pack, your, pack your uh, sunblock. That's hotter than you can make your oven go. Yeah, I mean, man. So I guess that's why we haven't gone there. You couldn't even, yeah, you couldn't even be in a spacesuit there. No, like spacesuits can't even withstand eight hundred and was eight hundred twenty-five degrees, eight hundred and forty-two degrees. Jeez. Now speaking of really hot, the sun loses an exceptional billion kilos. So if you figure a kilo is two point two pounds, a billion kilos per second. There are particles in the uppermost atmosphere of the sun that are extremely hot, which causes them to fly out into space. The hot air in our solar system gets rid of about 1.3 trillion particles every second. To wrap your head around that number, it's about 1 billion kilograms of matter every second. Honestly, bro, I don't, I can't believe we haven't done a podcast on the sun. The sun is so intriguing. Just it's not, I mean, it, it creates all life on Earth. Put it on the whiteboard. We'll do it. All right. I'm putting it on the whiteboard. We are going to do a podcast solely on the sun. So I won't go off on a tangent here because we have a whole show to go off on. Sun podcast. Check. Got it. Awesome. So the International Space Station is capable of powering your house for three months. Now, the International Space Station, or ISS for short, gets its energy from the sun. 
the solar wings can generate between 84 and 120 kilowatts, depending on their angle towards the sun. The average home in the U.S. uses about 1.25 kilowatts per day, meaning the station's solar wings can power your house anywhere between 67 to 96 days. That's the average house. Uh, judging by my electric bill, it would only be 30 days. Oh, my electric bill. <laughs> oh, it's just so punishing. I mean, it's so bad. It's just ridiculous. I mean, it's 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 more than doubled, and I hate it. That's all I'm going to say about it. But if you had the wings, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the solar wings that were on the ISS, you wouldn't have to worry about that because... Those the space station solar wings can power your house for ninety six days. I'll take a ninety six day relief off of my electric bill right now. We just need to get some of those wings. Maybe we can get like uh, we'll go to the NASA yard sale this summer. Yeah, well they're they're planning on actually crashing the International Space Station at some point into the ocean. I saw them looking for a deceleration thrust yeah. that'll push it down through the orbit and then back into it. If you look at a picture of it, it's really big. It's like three football fields long. I mean, aren't they afraid that that could cause like some type of tidal wave or something coming from space? Or it could bring in radiation or something that is not uh, cohabitable for Earth's um, biological. Like it could hurt the animals. It's, uh, it's or more importantly, it could hurt us. Yeah, I think until you get all the other trash cleaned up. Just leave it up there. Yeah. It's not hurting It's like a little, little hotel in case anyone's going up there. <laughs> With terrible room service. Yeah, definitely. Fultz, did you know that most stars we will never have the ability to see? Wow. Most of the objects that are in space have been moving apart from each other since the Big Bang. This is known as cosmic expansion, and it's happening fast. This means that the first population of stars that were created in the universe are too far away for us to get a look at luckily there are millions of stars for us to explore and you know what i always think it it's sad that you know with all the technology that who knows i mean not in my lifetime are we going to publicly explore you know deep space and uh, i mean yeah we'll probably go to mars but we're not going to really be probably be able to see like you know the big stuff that goes down in the public eye. I'm saying, I'm, you know, you didn't sound very excited about Mars right there. <laughs> I mean, look, if you get selected or if you even volunteered for this, you, this is a one-way trip to Mars. It's not. It's not. You could come for back. these for the for the first astronauts to go there. That's what they were saying that it's going to be a one-way trip, and they're looking at it, at people that you know don't really have much else going on in their life, don't have families because. I mean, then they got to, what are they going to, they're going to send a rocket to come and get you? You use the same rocket and you produce fuel from the natural uh, materials that are up there. I'm sure you can. That's going to take some time. Well, it's not a one-way ticket. It only takes three months. Yeah, it only takes three months to get there. You can't think that You can't get there and be like, all right, this is how we're going (laughs) to refuel this thing. They're going to be like, you need to, can we set up base camp? You can't start to think that way because then when things get tough, you're going to see people up there that are pioneers. They're just going to walk out of the airlock. Yeah, well, yeah. Makes me think of uh, that because movie, movie Passengers when he almost wanted to launch himself out of the airlock. Because you, you would have 
no uh, motivation to finish it off. Like you, you have to have that motivation there. So you always have to have hope and you would have to hope that you would be able to get back to earth, back to what, you know, the planet, your home planet. I get, I mean, I think, right or no? I'm not thinking so. I think these people are Martians from there on out. I do have something to say about the uh, cosmic expansion. So the Big Bang occurred, and this explosion pushed all of this matter outward. And we are on one of the rocks that is getting thrust through space right now. And we can see the things that are closest around us, our solar system, maybe our galaxy, the Milky Way, and all the things that are right around us. But... What this is saying is that there is so much other stuff that's going on out there, and it's going in the opposite way. It's it's expanding in the opposite way so fast that we're there's so much that we're never going to be able to see. Yeah, I mean, well, there's there's Earth-like planets that are probably just now being formed that are like what our Earth looked like like eight billion years ago, just a like hot rock, and eventually more uh, whatever came from space and started seeding it with different life forms and organisms and what have you. Do you think that's how life started? Oh, man, I really don't have any idea. Space seed? Well, space seed. I mean, uh, inner, inner, you know, ETs coming down. I think we've talked about this before. but Just for five years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've mentioned this once or twice. But, uh, yeah, I uh, I think that we do come from <laughs> Look, I I tend to think that maybe we're not supposed to be here because I there's the theory that I'll put out here that uh that oxygen is really not good for us. It just kills us slowly over like 80 to 90 years. And the reason that I think that is cuz why why else would we need antioxidants? Now, maybe somebody smarter out there than me is just like, well, well, idiot, this is why. Why would we want to get rid of the oxygen? If oxygen is really good for us, why do we need the antioxidant? I love it. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> I love it. It's a great theory. Thank you. I think it's already been proven to be true. Thank you. Yep. So, speaking of uh, being blowing yourself out of the airlock, um, Oh, wait, maybe I was good. The Na- if you, unless you had one of these on, the NASA spacesuit, and it's likely the most expensive outfit ever. With everything that goes into making this suit, it's no wonder it's so expensive. Just one NASA spacesuit costs $12 million. The majority of this price is due to the backpack and control module, but they're life-saving. The middle of the spacesuit can blow up like a balloon to enclose an astronaut's body so they don't boil up in space. It's probably $12 million old money before inflation. It's probably like $17 million. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're not going to touch a spacesuit for under 17 right Yeah, it now. probably just went up like in the last seven months. Yeah. Take us into this next one. So SpaceX, which we also talk about very often, yeah. sent Starman, a dummy riding a Tesla Roadster, on a journey around the solar system. Starman was the dummy that rode the red convertible electric sports car through space. In 2018, the car had a mannequin on top of the Falcon Heavy rocket that uh, was part of a stunt that SpaceX did for their first launch. It was the first production car launched into outer space, as well as the first car to orbit the sun. 
The dummy even got less than 5 million miles from Mars. So Fultz and I were just completely captivated by this space launch. We were sending each other videos because they had a live feed uh, before it cut out. It, it was sent directly away from us. And we, we saw some things on the live feed that we couldn't explain. And I, I recently said to Fultz, what if Starman was to return? What if we sent it directly away from us and something out there turned it around and it shot back to Earth? That, that would be the proof we need. Yeah, they're like uh, NASA or some, some big telescope maybe in Hawaii is like, we're picking up this object. And as it gets closer, like... It's the Tesla Roadster. <laughs> Starman. <laughs> it would be awesome. Fultz was sending me videos. He was like, dude, you got to see these. Yeah, and I'm going through some like old footage that I have right now. I was actually doing it during pre-show as well. I'm trying to find this video of Starman because it just looks, and this, this could explain maybe also why the feed was cut. It just looks like a bunch of crafts flying all around it and stuff because it was getting out there and... uh and what I think directly after that is when NASA told Elon that he needed, once he breached space, after he was 62 miles up, the cameras needed to go off. Now, why would that be? They made a rule after he set that launch because they were going to just continue to show it until the, they weren't able to provide a video feed anymore. But then it cut off before I think the feed was done. Like They still right. could have had the video up and running, but then the, the feed cut out. Yeah, that's why I need to find this video because they might have cut it off. But I have it somewhere. I'll get to it. Fultz said, I'm, I'm happy to drop this to my phone. He took a, a snip of the live footage as it was going on and downloaded it so they couldn't couldn't take it all away. We had a little bit of couldn't proof Couldn't be there. scrubbed. Yeah. Steve, have you ever had a Gomez hamburger? Ah, this Gomez hamburger is pretty cool. Gomez's hamburger, it's a nebula that has an uncanny resemblance to a hamburger. Looks like space is serving up some hamburgers. If there is a nebula named after a hamburger, you believe it's going to be our favorite nebula of all time. This hamburger is a sun-like star, and instead of being filled with meat, lettuce, and pickles, it's made up of dust and light. So if you check out, if you just type in Gomez's hamburger. Yep, Gomez's hamburger. It looks really uncanny. Uncanny resemblance to an actual hamburger. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And nebula also is not said enough. That word is so cool. Steve wants to name his next pet nebula. I thought so. I mean, we have... uh, Either that or isosceles. We have Luna. We have Luna right now, um, which is a black cat with green eyes. And we have Noodles. Which is a like an orange cat. Noodles is man. Noodles is cool. I love noodles. Good animals. Yeah, good yeah. animals. Now, like we were talking about space only being sixty-two miles away, but if you wanted to walk to the moon, it would take you nine years. Oh, now this one's wild. If it was possible, and you wanted to take the treacherous journey to the moon, it would take you a very long time. Because the moon is approximately 250,000 miles away, and you would have to be walking nonstop for nine years. Compare this with the amount of time it takes to reach the moon by spacecraft, which is about three days, traveling at uh, at least 15,000 miles an hour. Yeah. Not a one-way trip? 
No, I mean, I'm all for backpacking and, you know, camping in some remote places, but to walk to the moon, I'd be like, how long is it going to take? Nine years? No, I'll take a ride. I'll take a ride. Oh, yeah, if a ride's offered. I'll take a ride for that one. Definitely. Now, just one day on Venus is longer than a year on Earth. Now, Venus's axis rotation is basically in slow motion. To finish one full cycle... It takes the planet about 243 Earth days. A day on Venus is about 5,832 hours compared to 24 hours here on Earth. What's even crazier is that on Venus, the sun only rises twice a year. Now imagine having a, imagine not having a sunrise every single day. Imagine if your day was 5,832 hours or 243 Earth days. be awful. It'd be well if you're having a good day. It'd be really cool, but if you're having a bad day, you'd be like, "I want this day to be over." Yeah, I mean, you could legitimately always tell people, "We'll talk about that tomorrow," and knowing <laughs> that you don't have to talk about it for a good long time. Do you know what a, the name of a day on Mars is? Yes, it's a um, a, a soul. Oh, you're right. I was wondering if you'd be. I thought. In my head for a second, it was Jewel, but it's not. It's Soul. Martian days are called Souls, short for Solar Day. A year on Mars lasts 669.6 souls, which is the same as 687 Earth days. Mars' axis of rotation is tilted 25 degrees with respect to the plane of its orbit around the sun. So a soul is a a day on mars yeah it's almost like two of our years yeah like what soul is it (laughs) all right let's talk about the big bang a little bit well this one we already talked about cosmic expansion but to this day there is still heat left over from the big bang the universe has been around for quite some time about 13.8 billion years believe it or not there's still radiation around us from the big bang This heat is known as CMB, which stands for Cosmic Microwave Background. This radiation can't be seen with the naked eye, but it helps scientists understand how the early universe was created. CMB. (laughs) Not that CMB. Not the Cash (laughs) Money Brothers. (laughs) This is a different CMB. This is the cosmic radiation from the Big Bang. Right. Now, there is a 14- Point five billion year old Fukang meteorite from space, and it was found in China. This meteorite was found in the mountains of Fukang, China, back in 2000. Once it was cut open, it yielded an extraordinary sight. The meteorite contained translucent, translucent golden crystals, which reassemble a honeycomb, or which resemble a honeycomb. It's so valuable that small sections of it in the region sell for about $20 to $30 per gram. So far, it is one of the greatest meteorite discoveries in the 21st century. It is absolutely beautiful, too. I would love to have a piece of this. It says here, the first person to find it held it up in the air and said, look at this Fukang meteorite. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this Fukang meteor. <laughs> oh, scientists found a void in space one billion miles wide. <clears throat> that could potentially be a parallel universe. Ooh. I know, I know, it's my favorite. 
Astronomers believe that this mysterious cold spot, the largest void in the universe, could unveil alternate realities. It's exciting to know that there are very well maybe more than one universe. There still is a vast amount of research that needs to be done. For now, the cold spot in the sky will remain a mystery. But to us, it'll always be the Mandela effect. Yep, you go in there and uh, everything changes around. Yeah, you got Bernstein and Bernstein and you got Kit Kats with dashes. <laughs> now, did you know that astronauts can grow up to 3% taller while they're living in microgravity? Now, who knew that astronauts could grow in space? Now, think about a six-foot-tall astronaut growing nearly two extra inches while in orbit. The reason is because the discs of their spinal column get decompressed, so the spine lengthens. But once the astronauts return back to Earth, their height then returns back to normal after some months that go that go by. Yeah, and uh, I, uh, I can't think of the guy. Kelly is his last name. I was just looking that up. He uh, has got a twin brother. And when he came back from spending, I think, a year on the International Space Station, he was uh, a little bit taller than his twin brother. And actually, they, there was a lot of other differences, too. Like, they didn't look as identical anymore. Now, they say that extreme exposure to space over years can make, uh, you know, can make your arms grow long and your, and your, and your legs get real skinny and your, your muscles atrophy and that your skin tone can even go to a color gray. Now, what does that make you think about? Oh. The gray. The grays. I mean, maybe they're just us or they're some type of, I can't, you can't say human because they weren't here from Earth, but maybe it's, uh, they've just been in space too long. I think it's. I think it would be more possible that we were them. Yeah, I mean, it's that, possible. It, that astronaut was Scott Kelly. His twin brother, Mark Kelly, they actually did a huge documentary on him um, that I definitely need to see. It's called A Year in Space. For sure. Let's see. Oh, did you know that we have tiny undetectable meteorites from space in our hair? No, I didn't know that. Now, the sky is literally falling, Steve. Micrometeorites are very small particles from space that can only be seen with a microscope. They continuously rain down on Earth, but they are undetectable without advanced technological lab equipment. Unknown to us, they can get lost in pollen, smog particles, dust, and dandruff on our scalps. That's crazy. Yeah, so if you have some dandruff, it's probably just micrometeorites. You have too much micrometeorites. In your hair. Micrometeorites raining down on the earth. Constantly. All the time. Getting in my hair right now as we speak. Maybe that's what you see like when, when the sun's shining through the door or something. You're like, oh, that's just dust. Oh, it's dust. From Maybe it's space. micrometeorites. What do we got next? Well, this is cool. <clears throat> I'm holding pieces of the moon and Mars at the same time. How many people can say that, that they've held those? Specifically, pieces of meteors of the moon and Mars at the same time. Not many. Professor Sarah Horst from the Department of Earth and Planetary Sciences at John Hopkins University got lucky. She's been studying the, comp the composition of plant atmospheres, of planet atmospheres. And this is for sure a find that is memorable so she has held a piece of the moon at the same time holding a piece of mars that's pretty awesome unbelievable to hold those two little rocks in your hands at the same time 
Very special feat. She was probably like, I'm Fu Kang holding the moon and Mars at the same time. <laughs> holding that Fu Kang meteorite. Yep. Sunsets on Mars appear bluish to human observers. Mars is a complete phenomenon, one of them being its blue sunsets. The reason they're blue is because of the fine dust which makes up the blue near the sun's blue near the sun's part of the sky that much that's much more striking. The fine dust is just the right size for the blue light to go through the atmosphere. Who knows, maybe once we get to Mars we can enjoy a blue sunset. It won't be me, but maybe they can send back a transmission. Generally, when I think of uh, sunsets, I think of orange. Well, yeah. Beautiful yellows and oranges. That's how I envision a nice sunset over the bay. But uh, a blue sunset is intriguing. I would like to see it. Me too. I don't know if I want to travel to Mars to see it, but no, I would like to see a blue sunset. Because, well, even if you went to the moon and you left your footprints there, they would stay there for 100 million years. Now, who knew that a... <coughs> pardon me. My gosh. One moment. Steve, talk. <laughs> who knew that a footprint could last that long? The footprints will remain intact because the atmosphere doesn't allow for them to be eroded by wind or water. In fact, all the water on the surface of the moon is frozen as ice, so they're going to stay put for quite some time. Eventually, as enough time goes by, the dust from space will fill those footprints. Oh, very good. Thank you. Same dust that's raining down on our hair. Yeah. It's going to rain down on those footprints. It certainly is. Olympus Mons. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but Olympus Mons on Mars is the largest mountain in the solar system. Mount Olympus Mons is an enormous shield volcano on the planet of Mars. It is 24 kilometers high and 550 kilometers wide. Interestingly enough, just to give you some perspective of how big this thing is, it's about two and a half times taller than Mount Everest. It's nearly the same size as the state of Arizona. This volcano is not dead. However, scientists believe its, the, its last eruption could have taken place a few years ago. I mean, it's cool that it's there. I'll never be on top of it because I'll never be on. I don't want to go to Everest. I have no drive to put myself. I've seen the documentaries on getting to the top of Everest or K2 or any of those big ones. No, never, it's never happening. I mean, well, gosh, for this one, it would be like turning the state of Arizona vertical and climbing it. Like as far as uh, climbing mountains goes, they show the helicopter that picks them up and takes them back down at the end of it. I just want to ride the helicopter up. It would be the same thing if you spent all that time going to the peak and I just hop out of a helicopter and I'm up there. Then yeah. I think that would be the coolest thing. Yeah, I mean, you'd have this. You could have the same bragging right? Some guy would be like, "I'm at the top of Everest," and be <laughs> like, "Well, I was there too." Be like, "Well, I climbed." I'd be like, "I didn't waste my time doing that." That would be funny. Yeah, and if the if the weather conditions aren't good enough, that copter's not coming to get you until they are. So you could be up there a while. There's a lot of dead bodies up there because you die on that mountain. That's your final resting place. You stay on that mountain. Yes, you do. Steve, I know you love the James I Webb. I do love the James Webb. So the James Webb Space Telescope will be able to see what the universe looked like around a quarter of a billion years after the Big Bang. The impressive James Webb Telescope has a big task at hand. 
it's being made with the hope well it has been made uh and launched and there are pictures coming back and they are amazing and they're blowing scientists minds right now with the hope of being able to see what the universe looked like about a quarter of a billion years after the big bang maybe even a hundred million years after the big bang when the very first stars and galaxies were created it plans to be launched which it was and now is up in orbit and showing amazing pictures of the cosmos fantastic quantum mechanics says that there's a small chance that the whole universe could just easily disappear what yeah this theory in physics known as the vacuum decay more or less describes the universe as having self-destruct button it explains the walls of the vacuum would expand in every direction at the speed of light which would eventually take over the universe but science, scientists have predicted the earliest possible end of the universe about 22 billion years from now. Wow. Yes. I, we got some time. Yeah. I, uh, man, it's just the numbers of space are so big. Yeah. Go ahead. The pillars of creation, the Eagle Nebula, Nebula, Nebula. The columns contain materials for making new stars. The original Pillars of Creation was captured back in 1995. To celebrate the 25th anniversary of the telescope, astronomers shot a a high-resolution version using the telescope's new and improved camera. The Eagle Nebula, known as M16, is a cluster of stars, and this particular photo shows three gaseous columns that have materials for creating new stars. That's beast mode. It's definitely beast mode. Love it. Now, a lot of you probably have heard of this one, but the mysterious face on Mars. In 1998, one of NASA's spacecraft, it shot this image of a landform that appears to be a human face from 444 kilometers away. The enormous two-mile-long face quickly became an icon, and some even believed it was proven that there was life on Mars. Now, in reality, scientists, quote-unquote, determined the face was purely a trick on the eyes produced by light shadows hitting certain angles. So they say. I mean, they're just going to show us whatever they want. It could be like, hey, we're here too, or we were here first. You never know. I mean, could be chance. You ever see like a Frito-Lay that looks like uh, the Virgin Mary? Yeah, yeah, totally. You, you don't know. But now, I've, I've seen that face before. It does look creep eerily like a, a human face. Well, you know what else you might have witnessed was the, uh, the Big Bang on an old television set. Now, we're not talking about the Big Bang Theory, not that show, but parts of, the, parts of the snow, which is interference pattern of white spots on an old black and white TV set, was in fact radio waves being picked up by antennas from cosmic microwave background. This radiation was from the early universe as the byproduct of the Big Bang. How about that? I don't know if kids know what that is. They still have that? <sighs> they definitely should. I mean, I would know that growing up, you would turn the knob to a a channel that wasn't in tune, and you would get snow, which was just like a white screen that had kind of checkers. It was very busy, and it was weird looking. Yeah, they they even reference it in um, National Lampoon's European Vacation. I think they were in Germany, and all they could get on TV was cheese or snow. (laughs) And Rusty was like, you want to watch cheese or snow? I think Audrey was like, it doesn't matter to me. No, because all she wanted to do was call Jack. Yeah. 
Oh my Did goodness. you know, Fultz, that some people may be allergic to the moon? Hmm. Imagine having an allergy to the moon while in a space suit. Although there aren't many people who have breathed in moon dust, we do know of one person who got an allergic reaction to the moon. Harrison Schmidt was the last man to walk the moon and part of the Apollo 11 17, I'm sorry, Apollo 17 mission. While collecting samples, the moon dust got stuck in his suit and caused him to be congested. Hmm. I, the, you know, that means that the suit isn't 100% proof, like airtight. No, it definitely doesn't sound. And for 12 million, 17 million of today's money, it better be. Right, you would want an airtight suit. You should be able to go underwater and everything. You should be able to. Even if you were a dog, you should be able to go out. Because there was a dog named Laika who was the first dog ever to go to space. Now, Laika was the very first living creature to be sent to space. She went aboard Sputnik 2 spacecraft in November of 1957. She was a Soviet space dog who was part of the Siberian Husky and was the first animal to orbit Earth. It doesn't say whether they ever got her back or not. That's the sad part. The Soviet Space Dogs would be a cool name for our band. That would be a good band. And it could go with, like, the Kovacs. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we digress. Did you know that Russia is bigger than Pluto, which is probably why it's not a uh, planet anymore? Now, we were pretty shocked. When, when we think of the planets in our solar system, we usually think huge, larger than life, and uncomprehensible in size. However, when it comes to the surface area, Russia is actually bigger. The country takes up 6.6 million square miles, while Pluto's surface area takes up about 6.4 million square miles. So Mother Russia is bigger than Pluto. You think they used Russia there because of the space race? I mean, they did get Sputnik up there first. Sputnik 1, that is. That's true. And... uh and we won. We, we got to the moon first, so. So they say. Do this next one, too. This next one's really cool. Yeah. So clouds in the center of the Milky Way taste like raspberries and smell like rum. In 2009, a study, astronomers were exploring a huge cloud of gas and, and dust in the middle of the Milky Way and found that it was filled with a chemical, ethyl formate, which surprisingly gives raspberries their flavor and also smells like rum. We know they aren't edible, but we've never wanted to taste a cloud more. That is really cool. Uh, rum is an amazingly fun uh, liquor. <laughs> fun. It is. Every time you drink rum, you always see somebody like laughing and having fun. Usually because you're at, maybe at the beach, a little coconut rum. Pirates. A little, little Buffett playing in the background. And raspberries are fantastic. I mean, I if them. you don't like raspberries. So, you know what the official safety mascot is for, for NASA? What's that? Snoopy. Everybody loves that. Gosh, yeah. The American cartoonist Charles Schulz was approached by NASA asking to use Snoopy, the popular household character, as their safety mascot. Schulz made comics of Snoopy on the moon to bring anticipation about America's space program. Snoopy became Apollo 10's mascot because their lunar module was meant to snoop Apollo 10's future landing. And he's been on the job for more than 50 years. Props to Snoopy. There you go. Leading the way. Now, when you think about space, you usually think about being weightless. But if you were to take one teaspoon of a neutron star, it would weigh the same amount as the entire human population. 
<laughs> now think about the density of a neutron star is absolutely astonishing. These kind of stars are made up of neurons tightly packed in very small radius. One teaspoon would weigh more than a trillion kilos. To create something as dense as a neutron star, all of humanity would need to be packed very tightly into the same, in, in a space the same size as a sugar cube. What? So get all of humanity and pack it into a sugar cube, and that would be the denseness of a neutron star. See, what we need is to harness some power from space, bring it back to Earth, let it power the entire world for, you know, the next million years or so. Then we wouldn't have any greenhouse gases, we wouldn't have any problems with the temperatures, crazy storms or anything. Hopefully someone's listening out there. Steve's got a solution. That's what we got to do. All right, I'm in. I'll back you up. When you go out there and you land on Mars, swing by somewhere and grab some energy. (laughs) Swing by somewhere and do something. And then bring it back here so that we can have some energy. Exactly. The swirling clouds on Jupiter aren't like Earth's fluffy white clouds. Jupiter's clouds are probably the prettiest ones we've ever seen. These colorful and spiraling clouds are just the tops of Jupiter's highest clouds. They formed by frozen ammonia crystals that are covered in soot. There are actually three different layers of clouds, each composed of different molecules. First ammonia, then ammonia and sulfur, and the third is water. So you get some really pretty clouds on Jupiter. Well, we might have even had uh, prettier clouds on Earth for the first two billion years. Because it's said that Earth may have been purple for that period. Now, we have always known our planet as the blue dot in our solar system. But billions of years ago, it may have been purple due to a purple molecule called retinol. It was most likely the main sunlight absorbing molecule before chlorophyll came into the picture. The light sensitive molecule absorbs green light and reflected back a red and violet light, which together make purple. Wow, dude. Imagine that. Everything we've learned, like the oceans are blue, uh, would change. Yeah. To purple. Probably wouldn't be that weird if it was that way. Well, yeah. I mean, no, because we would be used to it. But if you think about it, anybody ever drew a picture of a swimming pool, the swimming pool would be purple because, you know, it's reflecting the blue sky now. So all swimming pools would be purple. The ocean would be portrayed as being purple. The sky would be purple. Purple would be purple. (laughs) be wild it would now what would be wild is two merging black holes that give off more energy in one minute before they collide than one single star does over a billion years scientists have suspected and theorized that two black holes joining together create energy which creates gravitational waves These waves are ripples in the universe that contract and expand space-time. And scientists also predicted that two black holes merge in the universe once every 15 minutes. What? We're definitely going to get swallowed up by one at some point. And maybe, who knows, maybe it'll just kick us out to another part of the universe. We don't know. Maybe it would just be like the portal leading to an alternate reality. And you shoot out a white hole. And there's a dash in Kit Kat. There you go. <laughs> Jupiter's famous red spot is shrinking. One of the solar system's most iconic landmarks, the Great Red Spot, is actually shrinking. It's been circling for two centuries and was once big enough to swallow three full 
Earths. It dropped in length from 40,000 kilometers to 15,000 kilometers. In recent years, it's been shrinking faster at a rate of about 900 kilometers per year. Scientists have said it's possible that it could disappear for good in about 20 years. So that famous red spot on Jupiter could be gone. Interesting. Now, if you're an astronaut and you're allergic to moon dust and some maybe gets in, in your helmet, astronauts have a piece of Velcro in their helmets to help scratch their nose. Now, we all get itches from time to time, but imagine a huge space helmet on your head with no way to get that itch. That's why there's a small piece of Velcro on the inside of the helmet to press their nose against. Besides this piece of Velcro, they also have a microphone and a device to pinch the nose to balance the pressure in their ears. I've heard that people have vomited in their spacesuits before. Yeah, well, there was one astronaut that he was he was doing a spacewalk. I think he was working on the International Space Station, and whatever they cleaned his helmet with, they didn't get the cleaning agent out of it, and so his his helmet started to fill up with water. Oh, and like there, it's it's a time so he couldn't see because it was stinging his eyes, and uh, he was having a hard time being able to get back inside. He almost drowned. That's crazy. Yeah. Be scared, oh, men have been so scared. I mean, it's already scary if you're going to drown. Maybe like, I'm drowning in space. Oh my gosh! It, it would be it'd be crazy. The sun represents 99 percent of the total mass of our solar system. Now, believe it or not, the solar system's mass is the sun. When defining the weight of the solar system, we go by weight, but by we don't go by weight, but by gravitational force. The center of the sun is densely populated by hydrogen, helium, carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen, which all come together to make up one huge nuclear fusion. The other percent is the combination of planets, moons, and asteroids. That's crazy. That just gives you some type of idea. Of how much. Of how massive. Just how much stuff is in that thing. Yeah. Now... Steve, if you <clears throat> were getting homesick when you were in space, you know, you couldn't cry because there, there's no crying in space. Just like no crying in baseball, there's no crying in space. Yep, and it probably gets pretty lonely in space sometimes. But astronauts can't let those tears flow. With no gravity up in space, there is nowhere for the tears to go. Instead, the tears will build up in your eye and stay there until a big enough bubble forms. It will move to a different spot of your face unless it is removed. If we ever go to space, we'll try and keep our emotions inside. Steve, you're going to have to. I probably won't be able to. I know. I, you know I cry when I see beautiful things. It's just part of me. Uh, I get awestruck by the moment, and I have to release my emotions. So there's definitely been times where I've cried at beauty, and I'm sure in the in the awestruckness of space that I would definitely shed a tear. It's kind of upsetting that they're saying it just would move around your face. It's a little weird, but, I mean, I would probably blink it out maybe, try and shake my face until the zero gravity just took it away from my area. Yeah, I mean, if you're in space looking at all that beautifulness and then imagine they're pumping some fish into your helmet, <laughs> you'd be crying. You'd be crying. So Saturn's famous rings, they tend to disappear. Saturn is quite a mysterious planet. No one knows how long a day is there. Its magnetic axis is difficult to measure, and every once in a while, its rings will suddenly disappear. This is because gravity is pulling the rings into the planet. The rings are around 175,000 miles across, 
and 3,200 feet thick. Scientists predict that Saturn's rings will completely disappear in a very short 300 million years. That's weird because it's like one of the most famous things about Saturn is the rings around it. Yeah. Um, so to, to think that they would disappear. So what, do they just go like back into the planet? Yeah, yeah the gravity sucks them back in. Huh. And they're, they're just gone. Now what about a graveyard orbit? Uh, well, a graveyard orbit is where old satellites are sent to die. Many of us don't really think about it where these satellites go after they've done their job and they've run their course. While some end up falling back to Earth, others are pushed into orbit known as a graveyard orbit or a disposal orbit, which is what we were just talking about with the ISS. This ensures that there are lesser chances of them to collide with operating spacecraft and also helps eliminate space debris. Wow. Well, it makes sense why we always want to try and go into space and explore space because humans are actually made out of stardust. Now, crazy enough, it's true. There are elements in our bodies such as carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen, which come from the stars that were formed 4.5 billion years ago. The human body has about 97% stardust. It really goes to show that everything truly is all connected. Guess we've all got some outer space in us, Steve. I think that's awesome. I mean, 97% stardust, huh? Yeah. It's the same, you know, carbon, they say, is the basis of all life forms. Oxygen, we talked about earlier. Um, and then nitrogen, that's kind of the the one in there I wouldn't think of, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, imagine that Uranus is so big that it has 27 moons, and they would be named after a Shakespearean character. So, so far, there have been 27 moons discovered around Uranus. Many of these moons are named for characters from William Shakespeare, such as Titan, O'Brien, Ariel, Miranda, and Puck. They were named by British astronomer William Herschel. Shakespeare's legacy continues even in outer space. That's crazy. They picked Shakespearean characters to yeah. name the moons after. You know, I, I don't think we talk about Uranus enough. I know. Uranus gets doesn't get as much uh, coverage like you said, as it should, but Uranus is big, and Uranus sometimes gets a bad name. Yeah, I don't know. Everyone just seems to put it on the back burner. Oh. <laughs> Coca-Cola was the first commercial soda guzzled in space. Mm. Soda in space sounds like a dream come true, but carbonation with zero gravity can cause a real problem. That's why back in July of 1985, astronauts on the shuttle Challenger tested out the Coca-Cola space can. The soda can had a special screw-top lid to help prevent any damage, ensured that pressure would be released slowly, and kept the drink fizzy. Interesting. Space Coke. Yeah, so Coke wins. Coke <laughs> wins the space race. Now, what we were talking about at the beginning, we're going to get into a little bit more right here. Na uh, NASA astronaut Bruce McCandless was the first person to fly freely in space. Look it up. It looks petrifying. Now, we believe that this is the definition of bravery. Bruce McCandless flew in space untethered with just a spacewalker jetpack in 1984. He traveled more than 300 feet away from the space shuttle Challenger. This inspired the generations of Americans after him that there's absolutely no limit to the human potential. 300 feet away, what if it, I mean, if your jetpack failed, you're done for. You can't get back. 
No, it would, they can't come out and get you. It was a long 300 feet, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean you got the Earth in the background. He's just floating there, and then you have the space shuttle that he launched off of. I didn't know that this was real until today. Like, I didn't know that they actually had an untethered spacewalker with a jetpack on in 1984. It seems unreal to me that anybody would take that type of risk. It's I would think that any time there's a spacewalk, there would be a safety protocol that says it needs to have a tether. But this Bruce McCandless actually did it. And the footage of it is amazing. Yeah, There's no it. doubt that he does it. He does it with a, a NASA jetpack on and is really far away from the uh, shuttle that he's on. So give it up to Bruce. Fantastic job, Bruce, showing us all what it's like to be an American in space. And that really is the definition of bravery. It is. And I have to say, I mean, that was 1984. Two years later is uh, what we're going to be talking about next. And I actually remember seeing this, Halley's Comet. And it appears every 75 to 76 years. Halley's Comet was first witnessed by astronomers in 239 BC. There are thousands of comets in our solar system, but one of the most notable ones is Halley's Comet. It's able to be seen by the naked eye and was last seen in 1986. We can mark our calendars for July 2061 because that's probably the next time it'll be visible. Did you know one of the um, biggest characteristics of a comet is that it has a tail? Yeah, an ice tail. Yeah, they have, and it's, the tail is visible. If you're able to see the comet, you can also see the tail behind it. So that's what differentiates a, a comet from other celestial bodies, such as meteors. Um, you can tell a comet because of its tail. Steve, has anybody ever fallen from space, do you think? Well, that's funny that you should ask because the remains of astronaut Vladimir Komarov, the man who fell from space in 1967, Soviet test pilot and aerospace engineer Vladimir Mikulovich Komarov was part of the first group of cosmonauts selected to go to space in 1960. He became the first Soviet cosmonaut to fly into outer space more than once, and the first human being to die on a space mission. Terrible. You can, you can see that Vladimir. Why? Why did they say he fell from space? I guess he did, and he burned up in the atmosphere. That's crazy. Yeah, that have been petrifying, horrifying, decaying. That that's also called a uh, decaying orbit when something will eventually fall back to the Earth. Well, you know, he probably experienced freezing cold at the same time. Uh, well, you can be, if he was on Mars, because you can be warm and freezing cold at the same time on Mars. Now, space is a weird place, that's for sure. But one fact to prove that there are opposing temperatures on Mars, the temperature at your feet can be about 75 degrees Fahrenheit, while the temperature by your head can be about 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Mars's atmosphere is quite thin, and because of this, the heat from the sun can escape the planet pretty easily. Dude, that's kind of weird. I mean, the thin atmosphere has to be it's completely different than what we're used to. Mm -hmm. We have pretty much a uniform temperature from you know, the first few feet that we occupy. It would be weird to have that feeling of freezing cold by the time your head... Because you're so far, you'd have to lay down yeah, to get an even temperature. Yeah. 
take us into this next one. Legendary. Well, Valentini, Valentina Tereshko. I say it. Tereshkova. Tereshkova. Valentina Tereshkova was the first woman in space. Valentina Tereshkova flew to space on June 16th of 1963, two years after Yuri Gagarin, the first man who flew into space. She was there for about three days and orbited Earth 48 times before being selected for the Associate Space Program. That would be Soviet. That's Soviet, yes. Soviet Space Program. It's a typo. I'll correct that. Send that in. She was a textile worker, an amateur skydiver. She was also the youngest woman who went into space on a solo mission. Savage. Skydiver. Savage. So, did you know that Earth is the only planet that isn't named after a god? No. Uh, Out of all the planets in our solar system, Earth is the only one not named after a Roman god or goddess. The word Earth comes from old English translation to ground or soil. When the planets were being named, Earth wasn't actually believed to be a planet, but rather the central object that other celestial objects in space were orbiting. The Ooh. center of the universe, if you will. Yeah. Steve, you ever hear of a space pie? I actually have never heard of it. A space pie. Huh. So, a meat and potatoes filled pie was f- the first of its kind to make it to space. It was attached to a weather balloon and sent from Wigan, a town in Manchester, before the World Pie-Eating Championship. The goal was to see if the molecular structure of the pie would change by sending it up 100,000 feet into the sky. Wow. I wonder if it did. I mean, I guess. It would have to. Definitely. Now, Steve, since you don't believe this word is used enough, here's another one. The Butterfly Nebula has a wingspan that stretches across three light years. Nebulas are some of the most beautiful things in the universe. Their glowing bright colors and shapes are something out of this world, literally. Its cloud of gas looks like butterfly wings. It gets this shape from two stars in the center of it. After the first star reached the end of its life and discarded its outer layers, the second star interferes with the gas flow, which creates the two wings. Dude, three light years across? That's far, so it would take you three three years traveling at the speed of light to reach from one end to the next. That's a humongous celestial being. I w- really, I would like to see that. Yeah. So not only is there water in space, Steve, there's water floating in space. Now, back in 2011, scientists found the oldest and biggest water reservoir to ever exist. Now, get this. It's just floating through space. It's equal to 140 trillion times all the water in the oceans on Earth. We can't really wrap our heads around how much water this truly is. It was found around a large black hole that is currently pulling in matter and giving off huge amounts of energy. Which means it probably took it from some planet that was uh, that hosted life. 40 trillion times the amount. That's like the ocean of the universe. D- totally. Jeez. What about time travel? Well, we talk about it often here on Subtle Beast. Time travel is, in fact, possible. Okay? So, time travel is possible. But it's nothing like what you may have seen in the movies. We're actually time traveling right now by going into the future at a rate of one second per second. 
Yeah. Even looking through a telescope shows us what stars looked like a long time ago. But, unfortunately, there isn't a time machine yet, so we can't hop into it and go back in time. Well, that's the official record. <laughs> Gamma ray bursts can unleash more energy in 10 seconds than our sun will in its entire 10 billion year lifetime. If you really want to see the true power of the universe, just wit- witness gamma ray bursts. The kind of burst is very short-lived, but absolutely extreme flash of high-energy radiation. There are basically energetic explosions that are believed to be created when black holes are forming. They shine hundreds of times brighter than a supernova and a million trillion times brighter than the sun. A million trillion? A million trillion. <laughs> I, I ain't even playing with y'all. <laughs> A million trillion times brighter than the sun. That's awesome. That is. I can't do this next one. I'm sorry. Okay. There is a very low chance of other intelligent life out there. Now, this was... Yeah. Researchers are continuously wondering whether mankind is alone in the universe. In a recent study from the University of Oxford, they concluded that because intelligent life on Earth evolved late, that that chances of life on other planets are pretty low. It took about 4.5 billion years for revolutionary transition to occur, including intelligent life. But we don't believe that anyway. That's the official record. The unofficial is that there's tons of aliens. They're out there. We know it. We're working with them. We're duplicating their crafts, and we're going to get Earth into a war over it just to make money. Dude, if you look up at that sky... You would have to be a fool to think that we're the only ones in here. It's arrogant to feel that way. Pluto is the only place besides Earth that has white peaked mountains. Interesting. Who knew planets had mountains? Planet Pluto not only has mountains, but white peaked mountains. But interestingly interestingly enough, the white doesn't come from snow, but most likely from methane-rich Ice. This white frost is created by condensation that happens at higher and warmer altitudes in planets' atmospheres. Interesting. It's very interesting that they have ice on Pluto. Yeah, and if you could take your helmet off and smell it, it would probably smell disgusting. Or like raspberries. (laughs) Or that. Now, the top layer of the moon carries enough oxygen to support 8 billion people for 100,000 years. Sure, the moon has an atmosphere, but it happens to be very thin and is made mostly of hydrogen, neon, and argon. At the same time, there's plenty of oxygen to go around, but it's not in gaseous form. The oxygen is stuck inside the layer of rock and dust that engulfs the surface of the moon. If we can extract this oxygen, it could sustain 8 billion people on Earth. For many, many years. That's a lot. That's a long time. Well, you know what? Humanity is uh, such a user that even though it says that it could sustain 8 billion people, we would probably use it up with just 4 billion people. Probably, yeah. Or hogs. That's just how we are. Humans are parasites. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that humans have visited every planet in the solar system? Interesting. Okay, we aren't at, we aren't talking about actually stepping foot on every planet, but man-made probes and spacecraft has scouted out all the planets that we know of for sure that are in the Milky Way. It's hard to believe, but since humans have started their journey into space, a lot has been accomplished, but there's always more to explore. There sure is. 
And it won't be us. <laughs> Not us. So lastly, the Earth's aurora borealis are the colorful and natural light shows caused by the sun. It's a magnificent sight, and it happens when charged particles from the sun connect with Earth's atmosphere, specifically gases in the atmosphere. The glowing aurora is basically a billion different collisions that light up the Earth's magnetic field lines. Most often, these amazing lights can be spotted close to north or south pole. I would love to see them in person. I heard that they photograph better than they do with the naked eye. Yeah. But to see the Aurora Borealis is on my bucket list. I would love to do it. I think that uh, they they have trips to Iceland. I think you can see them. Yeah, really good I think Alaska you can too. I would love to see that uh, up close and personal. Yeah, me too. So I learned a lot there. Uh, yeah, me too. I mean, putting this show together was very interesting. There are obviously, and we mentioned it going along, some things that we disagree with, but uh, the official report on some of these things is, is such. But who knew that, you know, there's places that uh, smelled like raspberry and rum out I in know. outer space. I know. I mean, that's pretty crazy. So, well, that's our fascinating space facts that we wanted to share and put out there. And uh, we hope you enjoyed it. I know Steve said he had a good time. So did I. And yeah, this was really fun to put together. It was really interesting to learn these facts. So I could do another 20. I could do another 20 or 30 of them. Yeah, we might have to revisit this with Fascinating Space Facts Part 2. It would be cool. It would be. So, well, I enjoyed myself and so did Steve. And uh, until next time, I'm Foltz. And I'm Steve. And we'll see you next time. Take care of one another. Bye-bye. <laughs>